Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's press forward a little bit. Uh, and really, the centerpiece today is, um, is this gift, uh, baptism. But before we do, I just want to uh, do a little more work on like, what this experience would have meant. So uh, I grew up in, in church, and baptism was a part of church for me, and so I heard a lot about it. And, uh, and we'll get back to this later, but one of the central images of this experience is being buried with Christ, dying with Christ, and being raised to new life. So if you know the story of Jesus who goes into a grave and comes out of it, and then you see a person being sort of buried in the water and coming up out of it, that lines up pretty tightly. The, the symbolism makes sense. But then I had this question a while ago, which was, wait a minute, they were baptizing people before Jesus was buried and raised. Like earlier in the Gospels, before any of that part of the story happens, people are going, to the, going out to John the Baptist and they're being baptized. So it raises the question, like, what did it mean for them in that moment? Did, it, did, it, um, did they like, just have some supernatural sort of insight that later this thing was going to happen with Jesus? Or is there a, a more sort of uh, authentic reading of what that meant for them? So I want to take you into that a little bit and ask ourselves, like, what's going on early on in baptism for the people that have that experience? Uh, to get into that, let me take you to the book of uh, Matthew chapter 3. Because before uh, Jesus' ministry even starts, John the Baptist is out there doing this baptizing thing. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And if we read a little further, we'll just discover that baptizing is a big part of this thing at the Jordan River, part of John's message and movement. So he's out there and he's doing the baptism thing. And I want to grab a word out of here, Um, wilderness. I want to just catch that for a bit. Like, you might be like an REI-loving, like, backpacking, hiking, wilderness freak, and you read that, and you have all these, like, warm, fuzzy feelings of reflective afternoons in the woods, but, like, that's probably not the connotation of this word in this place, because in this time and in this place and with this particular wilderness, wilderness is kind of a dangerous place. It's not a hospitable place. Wilderness is not a place that anybody would want to be. Wilderness is a place that you go to if you can't get along with or make peace with or find your place within all of the other places that are safer and more built up and and more sort of well-packaged for human life, right? So in this time and place in the world, you have cities, you have villages, you have places where humans have gotten together and made things relatively safe, where there's uh, groups of people you can probably, like, trust the... uh, A roaming mob of robbers isn't going to come after you when you're in their city, but when you're in the wilderness, you're running some of those risks. Wilderness uh, here for these people in this place and time, wilderness is a place that you go if you're trying to get away from the system for some reason. Maybe, Maybe you've been told you don't fit in the system. Maybe you've been branded an enemy of the system. Uh, Maybe you're a criminal on the run from the system. Wilderness is a place for the misfits, for the outliers, for the outsiders, and that's where this movement bubbles up, which is really interesting to me. And we can go on and on about all sorts of reasons for that, but I just want to observe that, that this, uh, this symbol in the, in the story of Jesus, this starting point for the movement of Jesus and the message of Jesus, it's not in the center where all the influence and all the power is. It's actually out there on the fringe where you don't find any of those things. There are probably a lot of reasons for that that tie into the nature of this movement, but this thing begins out there in the wilderness. So say that you're out there in the wilderness, and I don't know why you're there. Maybe you're out there in the wilderness because uh, maybe you made some mistakes back there in society, and they are coming after you now, and you're trying to sort of keep ahead of them. Maybe you're, you're out there in the wilderness because um, you, you just can't find yourself, you can't find the energy to play along any longer with the way that the world is put together in those cities, in those structures, whether it's like the religious leaders or the political leaders or family life. There's something about that that doesn't work, and so maybe you found yourself in the wilderness And out there, you hear there's this crazy preacher man 
wearing crazy clothes and eating like locusts and honey, and he has this crazy message, which is repent. And we looked at this word a little while ago, repent, like, like come home, return, change your mind, like convert the way that you think, like reconsider the conclusions that you've come to about how the world works and how you play along with it. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Because God and God's reign and God's love, God is coming near. And it seems to suggest like you could even be a part of it if you want to. So you're out there in the wilderness, and you see crazy man John preaching in the wilderness, and he's doing these baptisms, and you're watching these things. Now, um, you, you might sort of enter this scene from the year 2017, and apart from this Christian religious thing, you might, you might say, that's kind of weird. They're dunking people in water. That's kind of bizarre. But the fact is that like religious washing or ritual washing, bathing, that's actually a pretty normal thing for human beings back at this time and place, kind of all around the ancient world. Different religious codes and systems have different ways of thinking about it, but underlying a lot of it are these sort of general ideas that like there are things that you can do or things about you that make you unclean or impure. There are things that you do or things about you that make you sort of incompatible with the divine life in the world or incompatible with the, the people who rally around that life in the world. And so, so from time to time, you would need to have these cleansings. And so you're there and you're thinking, yeah, this is the thing that I've seen before. Like we do this back in Jerusalem, right? But there are some, some things about what's happening here that, that, that we might want to observe. Like what's about to happen in this pool does look quite different from what most people 2,000 years ago would have thought of when they thought of religious rituals or washings. And I think some of these differences are really like, helpful. They help us get our hands on what this means for us today. So for example, maybe you're out there in the wilderness, and I don't know how you got to the wilderness, but there you are in the wilderness, and you're watching this thing happen, and you're hearing John, who has the guts to say that God is actually coming near. And in fact, you could be eligible to be a part of this somehow. You've got to return, you've got to wake up, you've got to change your mind and be a part of this thing. And then you see him doing the baptizing thing, but there's a problem with how he's doing the baptizing thing. Because there's all these really messed up, unclean, imperfect people who are getting into that water, and you know what he does? He touches them. And that's a problem. Because like in a lot of these ways of religious ritual washing, uh, the thing that causes you to need the washing is a thing that can be transmitted by touch. So you're impure or unclean according to one of these codes. And that same impurity or uncleanness that these religious codes say that you have is something that you can transmit to somebody else if you touch them. It's almost like you are a walking contagion. So this is why, like in another place called Qumran, that archaeologists have discovered, they, this community builds these massive bathing systems, these, these, uh, these sort of stone uh, shower systems, so that people can go religiously cleanse themselves. And so they have systems that you can walk in, and they essentially like showers, right? But like very advanced for this time and place, and full of religious meaning, because nobody else can touch you while you're unclean. So you need to find a way to clean yourself, be, be, uh, and, and then after you're clean, then they can give you a hug or something like that, right? But in the ritual that we're about to experience, uh, one person's going to be there in the water, and another person is going to sort of have their arms on them, kind of have their hands on their shoulders, and take them down into this water. Like, as if you don't have to do this yourself. In fact, maybe as if you, you couldn't even do it yourself if you wanted. But the good news is you don't have to do it yourself. This isn't uh, a pure sort of self-help regime. This isn't the kind of exercise that you just sort of do to make things happen. As if you can be a recipient of this. As if you can um, surrender to it and it can be given to you. 
And as if, as if whatever it is about you, unclean or impure, whatever that is, as if it's not the most powerful thing in the world. As if, uh, as if the holiness that God gives is in fact sort of more enduring. Like when, when a collision happens between that holiness that God gives and our, our fallenness, our sin, our um, unwholeness, like when those two things come together, it's not the holiness of God that loses. <laughs> it's the other things. And then what remains is this gift that God gives, um, healing us, making us whole. You don't have to do this on your own. Now, there's another thing that might stand out to you. Um, if, say, say I could take you, instead of from the year 2017, back to that time. Instead, if I could take you from that time and bring you here and take you sort of out of a place where you're familiar with these rituals of religious washing and bring you to what we're about to experience as a community, there's something else that you might notice you might see people getting into the pool and you might ask, when's the last time they were in there? And we would probably say, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> and they say, well, do, do they do this weekly or daily or monthly? Because most of these rituals of, of sacred cleansing and washing are the kind of thing that you have to do again and 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 it's like this never-ending freight train of religious anxiety that brings you back to that pool again and again and again, endlessly cleansing, endlessly uh, justifying, endlessly dealing with these things that you are trying to make whole yourself. And it's as if this ritual today is telling us, you don't have to do that. You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to keep justifying yourself. You don't have to keep cleansing yourself. You don't have to keep um, sort of trying to neutralize the balance sheet on your life. You don't have to keep making up for a deficit that keeps showing up again and again and again. I think this is uh, really meant to sort of break um, a cycle of endlessly justifying ourselves. And today we may not have people that often go to religious, religious ritual washings, but we have other ways, don't we? We have other ways of trying to make peace with the parts of ourselves that we're not at peace with again and again and again and again and again. For some of us, it's the maniacal way that we approach our work again and again and again because I've got to prove myself again today and again tomorrow and again the next day and that freight train of anxiety, it just rolls. For others, it, it takes a dark turn toward addiction. We just have to numb the feeling that we have that we're not okay, that we're not good enough, strong enough, right enough, and so we just keep medicating that, trying to kind of press that thing down, and whether it's the maniacal work or the addiction or like some other way, like we have, we have these, these modern ways of acting out that perpetual anxiety, don't we? But this thing, it speaks to us and it says that whatever, whatever is at the center of this, whatever God is doing, whatever salvation means, whatever the kingdom of heaven is like, and whatever it's like to be a part of it, it's not the kind of thing that you have to endlessly maintain on your own. It's not the kind of um, membership or belonging that you have to endlessly and repeatedly justify for yourself and for everyone else. It's an invitation that welcomes you. It's a generous gift that we receive. And uh, there's nothing we can do to, to sort of nullify the gift, if you will. It's given freely, received freely. And in that way, I think it's meant to uh, speak to our liberation from those cycles of anxiety that keep playing their way out. So you're out there in the wilderness, and you're watching this crazy John man do these baptisms, and I don't know how you got to the wilderness, but there you are. And uh, after you observe some of these regular baptisms, there's this little thing that unfolds, and you can't quite hear what's going on, but if you could hear from the distance, you would discover there's another man named Jesus who's gone up, and he's uh, talking to John, and Jesus wants to be baptized. And John says, no, 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 something different is going on here. 
John says it's something like, like, this is above my pay grade to baptize you. There's something different going on with you, so I shouldn't do that. But this man, Jesus, says, no, 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 no. This is the right thing to do. I'm going to be baptized as well. Now, you may not overhear all of that, but you're watching this particular guy get baptized, and there must be something different going on because there was some kind of conversation with John about whether this guy should be baptized. And then after you watch this Jesus guy go into the water, something very peculiar happens. This is chapter 3 at the end. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Well, that's fairly dramatic, right? <laughs> like heaven opens up and the Spirit comes down. And you overhear some of this, and you don't know who this Jesus guy is, and you're new to this whole movement, but you, you kind of sense that some of the people who are standing near you, they've been hanging around this scene for a little bit. So you elbow them, and you say, what's going on with the Jesus dude? Like, like, like what with, what's with the special effects, right? Like, what, what is going on here? What's this guy's resume? This guy must be very impressive. There must be something that we all know about him, something that he's done, some way that he's walked into this moment with this long line of accomplishments of proving himself behind that moment. So he comes to this moment, and he gets to hear heaven say, beloved son, what's the story with this guy? And the people to your right, they say, oh, no, uh-uh. No, that's just my carpenter. He does decent work. You know, had to take a couple things back for warranty repair, but like, yeah, that's just a carpenter. Hasn't done anything. This is, at this point in the story, Jesus has not taught one fitful word of power. Jesus has not healed anyone. Jesus has not done anything on record that makes anything extraordinary out of him at this point. And yet there he is in the waters, and we hear, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And you hear that from these people, and they seem pretty credible. They seem to know what they're talking about. At this point, there's nothing extraordinary to, to uh, corroborate this word about this person, except that heaven opened up and said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. And like I said, I don't know what got you to the wilderness. I don't know why you were out there. I don't know if it was you had to run away from something, if you didn't fit into the world back there in civilization. I don't know what got you to the wilderness. But I suspect at this point, something starts breaking open inside you. Because you're out there in the wilderness, and you see one person wrapping their arms around another person, a person who may feel unclean or impure, a person who may have been saying to everybody around them, don't touch me, untouchable, unclean, and yet a person wraps their arms around them and takes them down into the water and brings them back up. And maybe you'd come here to this tradition and the way we practice it as a church, and you would discover that we actually only do it once. And you would think about the way heaven opened up and spoke of a person who had done nothing and said, this is my beloved son. And it might dawn on you that if heaven opened up and said something about you today, heaven would say, beloved daughter, beloved son. I don't care what you've done. Heaven would open up and say, beloved daughter, beloved son. So you might jump into this movement, and then you might follow along with this movement for a few years. Now there's, um, of course, the development in Scripture that we read about. Like in, later, after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, uh, we read that the understanding of the followers of Jesus is that like with all of that in the background, into the center of this experience called baptism, comes this important meaning from Romans. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And so um, with that background of a movement that's coming from the fringes, that's out there for the rejects, for the misfits, with that background of a movement that says you don't have to do this on your own, with that background that tells you you don't have to keep endlessly justifying yourself, with that background of, of the posture of heaven that says to every person, no matter what they've done or who they are, that says, beloved son, beloved daughter, with all of that sort of operating in the background, then into the center of this thing comes this big idea that God has invited us into the death of Christ so that, like, like we've said, it's as if in that moment, like all of the breaking, all of the violence, all of the failure, all of the ignorance of humanity, past, present, and future, somehow comes against God and Jesus. And you would think it would be the final word of that movement. And you would discover that, in fact, all of the breaking and all the violence and all the darkness has the final word. But then you would find out it doesn't. And if it doesn't, then maybe there's hope for all of us who have been dark and broken and ignorant and unfaithful. And then you would discover that perhaps you could leave those things behind with Jesus in that moment and come up to a new kind of life. That's the promise that all kinds of people for 2,000 years have been waking up to. And this symbol has been a way of embodying it. Of not just hearing a preacher talk about it, but like feeling it in flesh and bone. Water coming over your body and, and speaking to your body the way that these words speak to your ears and the way the Spirit might speak to your heart, saying, you too have died with Christ and have been raised up to new life. You too can leave those things behind. You too, whatever it was that, that pushed you out into the wilderness, you no longer have to run from or be afraid of. You too have been called beloved daughter or beloved son a word that nobody could take away from you. So, uh, so we welcome uh, our brothers and sisters uh, into the waters of baptism. Um, I said it before, if, if you didn't come here sort of like practically prepared for baptism, but you realize that you are prepared in the ways that matter, which is not to say that you understand this perfectly and not to say that you're um, ready to walk perfectly, but simply that you are ready to respond and open up to that. We, like we're totally ready for you in every other way. Um, and then we have others who've, who've been planning and preparing and who are ready to be baptized. And so in a few minutes, uh, we'll turn to baptism. And I just kind of want to talk you through the movements of that for our community before we turn toward that. Um, if you didn't get one of these cards when you walked in, you're going to want one, just because our liturgy uh, lives on the card here for the next few moments that we, we move toward that. So if you don't have one, just raise your hand, and one of our greeters will make sure that you have one. Uh, so what's about to happen is we're going to sing a little bit, and uh, while we're singing, everyone who is getting baptized, whether you signed up in advance or not, uh, if you want to just kind of go back there, and I'll meet you back there along with Ryan, and we'll kind of like make sure we're all set together. And then after the singing, uh, we have a communal prayer, and we've said this before. Um, baptism is for our community like it is for every church. It's not just uh, for the people in the pool, but it gives the rest of us a chance to renew our commitment and sort of refresh our connection if we've had that experience in our past. And if you haven't had the experience, that's okay too. Maybe just the last few weeks, you've gotten your hands on some of these ideas and you want to say yes to them. This just gives you a chance to do that if that's, if that's where you are right now. So uh, we'll do this communal prayer together after we sing for a bit. Um, and then uh, we'll, 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 some of us will be in the pool here. And we're going to ask each person being baptized three questions. Have you decided to follow Jesus as he leads you home and as he teaches you in the way of peace? Do you trust that your sins have been buried with Christ so that you may be raised up with him in new life? And will you walk with others as you grow in the kingdom of God?
Each person will have a chance to answer each of those questions. But here's the very next thing that will happen. Right after that, uh, I'll ask our church to just respond and affirm. And so together, we'll all say, we hear your confession, affirm your decision, and celebrate with you. And then we'll baptize each person in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when they come up out of the water, I feel like it would be super appropriate for us to cheer for them and let them know that we're with them in that way, right? Uh, this is one of those moments um, where the community is, is um, so much better than the preacher, and I really mean that. Uh, it's one thing for like, me as one person to try to communicate and say, here's God's heart to you, beloved daughter, beloved son. It's one thing for me as one person to say, you are welcome in this family. But it's just much stronger and richer and deeper when the community speaks together and says that with each of your voices, your background, your life experience, like everything about all of us saying together these things, it's, it's, a, it's a little closer to the fullness of what's real and true, which is that heaven welcomes each person, God calls each person beloved daughter and son, and this community is just a little, a little representation of that welcome as each person comes out of the water. Uh, so that's the plan. Sound good, church? Yeah. All right, I know I've been talking for a bit. We've got to wake you up a little bit. Uh, Dan's going to help us do that, and then we'll move toward baptism.